Thank you. What a privilege. Thank you, Pastor Carter, for that introduction. I am unworthy. No pressure, right, after that. But I just want to say good evening. It really is a joy to be here with all of you tonight. And he already wished every mom a happy Mother's Day, but I need to do it again. So I want to wish all the moms here a beautiful and blessed day. I hope you have enjoyed it. Today is your day. We want to honor you for all the sacrifices that you make. I'm a mom, so I know we wear so many hats. And then I also want to wish all the spiritual moms a happy Mother's Day. I know some of you may not have physical children, but you have spiritual ones. And we want to also give you the honor and the praise because you make our church and our community a better place by giving of yourself and enriching the lives of so many. And as Pastor Carter said, today is a difficult day for others. And so I also want to acknowledge that. And I want to enter into a space of grief and honor that for you. And if today is a difficult day, I love how in God's word, God expresses his love to us, not just as a good father, and he does, but also as a mother. And so there's a verse in Isaiah 66, 13 that I would like to read to you. I'm not sure. There it is. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. Will you receive God's comfort this evening? So whether today is a day of joy or if there's sadness, or maybe that's a mix. You know, in our hearts, both can coexist at the same time. We can have joy over certain circumstances and then have this sadness as well. So may God meet you there. But whatever today is for you, I want you to know and feel God's unfailing love. May you know his love. Well, let me pray. Father, we do thank you for this church. We thank you for this amazing privilege of worshiping together as your people. Father, we thank you for your son and for your love. And so I ask that tonight through this message, you will stir in our hearts a greater passion for you, a greater desire to use our gifts for your kingdom, a greater desire to love one another. May you reignite a passion for you and for the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you empty me of myself, that you fill me to overflowing with your spirit, that you anoint and empower my words. May they not be mine, but yours. And I ask this in the powerful and precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So let me ask you a few questions tonight. How does your life display the glory of God? Is your life so filled with his glory that others see it through you? Or would you maybe say that your life is devoid of the glory? Well, we saw all these bumpers and we saw the baptisms and all of us can see there's this fresh new work of the Spirit happening in all the Crossbridge campuses. Isn't that exciting? And as I was pondering and praying about that, I thought that during this dryness, this isolation of the pandemic, when everything that we look to for entertainment, 
It was all shut down from one day to another, even driving to work. And so I thought that because of that, could it be that our hearts are longing, that our souls are longing for what truly satisfies God himself. So how can all of us be part of this new fresh work? How can revival happen in your heart and in mine? And so today being Mother's Day, I thought that it would be fitting to look at the how from a woman in Scripture. From a remarkable woman who has so many titles and so many accolades. And yet of all of them, she chooses to describe herself as a mother over Israel. As a mother in the nation. And this mother issued a call to the people of Israel. And she issues that same call to us tonight to arise for the glory of God. To arise for the glory of God. So I pray that there's a fresh work in each of our hearts. But I want to read to you a little bit about her. And we're going to go to Judges chapter 4 and a little bit in chapter 5. So bear with me. How many of you spend time in the book of Judges? Not a real popular book, right? But tonight, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to read Judges 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, after Ahad died, and that was one of the prior judges, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 iron chariots and cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. Deborah, a prophetess, was leading Israel at that time. And she held court, I love where, under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, tribes of Israel, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and I will give him into your hands. God was promising them victory. And then Judges chapter 5 is a song that she writes about the events that happened. But in this song, she gives us a little more glimpse. So I'm just going to read to you a couple of verses. It says, In the days of Jael, the roads were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Village life in Israel ceased, sort of like our lives in the pandemic. Everything was closed. Ceased until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. And then I love this verse. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but may those who love you be like the sun 
when it rises in its strength. This is the word of the Lord. Now, isn't a sunrise glorious? That's my prayer for you, that you may be like the sun when it arises in its strength, full of God's glory. So Deborah teaches us three things, three things that we need in our lives in order for our lives to display this glory that I'm talking about. The very first thing is to live available to God. We need to live available to God. The second one is we need to live with courage. And the third one is that we need to live empowered by the gospel. And I say live because it's a lifestyle. See, it's not like just today I'm going to be available and then I go on tomorrow and I'm not. Or today I'll have courage for something in my life, but that's it. And I'll remember the gospel on Sundays when I come to church, but the rest of the time I don't know. We need to live. This is our calling. So let me give you a little background of what's happening in this wonderful book of Judges. Well, the book of Judges begins after the death of Joshua. If you remember the familiar story, Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. They wander 40 years in the desert. But it's not Moses who takes them into Canaan. It's Joshua. And when they go in, they're supposed to conquer the Canaanites. But they don't. They compromise in their faith. They settle and they begin to worship all the false gods in that land. And it was during this time of Israel's history that God appointed judges. See, this was the time before there were kings. This is before King Saul or King David or Solomon, all the kings that we have heard of. And these judges were supposed to lead the people and remind them to come back to God to find what they needed, their happiness, their significance, in him. And so maybe you're thinking, what does that have to do with us tonight, right? We don't live in Canaan, and we're not worshiping these little metallic idols, but this is the reality. The book of Judges rings true today because we live and we work among a great variety of little g gods. Gods of consumerism, gods of wealth, gods of power, gods of celebrity, gods of comfort, gods of approval, gods of romance, gods of sex. You fill in the blank. And when anything in our lives takes precedence over God, when anything in our lives has greater value to us than God does, it gets a foothold in our hearts. And you know what happens? We begin to live our lives like these are little temples to these things. And what do I mean by that? It becomes the driving force, what we live for. And so we need to constantly check our hearts. Because if not, we will be like the people in Deborah's day that look to these false gods for their happiness. So in this very dark time, Deborah arose. She was a woman available to God. And so that's our very first one. 
We need to live available to God. But I want you to hear me. Availability is not the same thing as ability. Deborah had so many abilities, but her greatest ability was her availability to God. You can have so many gifts, but your greatest ability is to be available to God with your gifts. And so Deborah, I've been telling you she was remarkable. She had an impressive resume. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She was a prophetess. What does that mean? That she was a spokesperson for God. She had this gift that she could see and discern the will of God and then speak it to the people. Isn't that amazing? What intimacy she must have had with God. Then she was a judge. She had the honor of being the fourth judge in Israel, but having the distinction of being the only female one. And only Samuel had the same title that was both a judge and a prophet. Deborah had that honor. She was a warrior. She doesn't actually fight, but she goes into battle with them. She was a poetess. She was an artist. She wrote this song, this poem for the glory of God. And then last but not least, she was a mother. Now the scriptures do not tell us if she had physical children, but she was a spiritual mother to the nation. She loved them with God's love. She cared about their safety and their protection and about their well-being. And because of that, she was available. So Israel, in this time, needed someone to inspire them. And God chose Deborah. And I want you to know that many scholars say that the only reason it was a woman was because there weren't any available men. But see, the text doesn't give us any indication of that. It doesn't say anything of the sort. Deborah was there leading and judging Israel because God appointed her and gifted her in a way that she could do it. So we don't go far into the account of Deborah without coming face to face with the reality that Deborah was a woman judging the nation of Israel. And so I want to pause and talk about women in the church. See, because today, before most people will listen and want to know, is the Bible true? They want to know first. So what does the Bible say about women? Is it sexist? Does the Bible denigrate women to a position lower than men? What does the Bible tell us? But see, this is the beauty. The Bible is the cure for the very same thing that it's accused of. Because in a time of Deborah, when women were believed to be inferior to men, God put a woman as a judge over his nation. And I want you to know that in our country, in the 19th century, Deborah was an incredible, vivid example for women across the nation. Because women wondered... If Deborah could be a judge and a prophet in antiquity, why don't we 
have a voice, a public voice today to vote. She stirred the imagination of women, that women could make a contribution to politics, to law, to literature, and to the faith. It was in 1920 in the United States of America that women were given the right to vote. Yet thousands of years before, in God's word, God elevates women. So what does the Bible tell us about women? Well, we don't need to go far. We go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And what does it say? God created male and female in his image. Both image bearers of God with equal worth, dignity, and honor. What does Paul say? There's neither Jew nor Greek, male or female. One in Christ. The gifts of the Spirit are given indiscriminately. Women and men, we have the same spiritual gifts given by God. Why? Because our gifts are necessary for the kingdom of God. To work together, both voices are needed because we all have blind spots. And then Jesus, that'll be my last example because I could go on and on. Jesus elevated women again in a time where women were not honored the same as men. The familiar story of Mary and Martha. So where was Martha? She was in the kitchen preparing the meals. That was the traditional stereotypic place of a woman back then in the Middle East. And she's stressed. She has this banquet. She has this huge dinner. And she goes to Jesus and she says, where is my sister? Where was Mary? At the foot of Jesus. That was a traditional place for a man. At the foot of a rabbi was a place of learning. It was a place for a disciple. Most Jewish rabbis would not have a woman at their feet, but Jesus did. And when Martha complains, Jesus said, she chose the better part, the better place smashing all stereotypes of where a woman belonged. I could go on, but the New Testament is filled with examples of women like Deborah, women who were available to God. See, if Deborah had not used her gifts, the nation of Israel would not have had that impressive victory. So I want to encourage you each one of you are given gifts by the Holy Spirit. If you're thinking, well, what are my gifts? God gives each one. Use them. Be available for God. But I do want to say that being available is not a means to salvation. It's not service. It's through faith. And I also want to say that our first availability is to be available in our relationship with the Lord. Spend time with him. Know his love. Know his heart. Because every great relationship, and I put it up so that you would remember it, requires great availability. Be available to spend time with God. It is your greatest treasure and your most important relationship. And then check your motives. Because we could be really busy with the things of God, 
but it's all about honor and recognition for ourselves and self-glory. See, J.D. Greer says that true religion, I put another quote up there for you, is when we, okay, they haven't put it there, is when you serve God to get nothing more but more of God. In other words, we serve him out of gratitude and love because he served us first. And when we do, we experience him and we experience his glory. So let me ask you, how available are you to God? You want to know what's at the root sometimes when we're not? It's that we love something more than we love God. You want to know what you love more than God? And I'm telling you, this is convicting. I'm speaking to myself. Are the excuses that we give God. I am not available because I am so busy. I'm not available because I, I need to rest, my comfort. I'm not available because my family, all good things, but not ultimate things. But to be available to God, it requires courage. And that is the second one. We need to live with courage. Now, Deborah was a woman filled with courage that came from God. First of all, she was a female judge in a male-dominated society. Do you think that required courage? You betcha. Second of all, when the village elders could not decide a case, a dispute, they would bring the people to Deborah for resolution. Do you think that when all these conflicts were before her, that didn't require courage? Step in between people that are angry and are arguing and want their way. That takes courage. And then she goes and she shakes up Barak and she says, the Lord commands you, get 10,000 men and we're going to go to war against Sisera's army. I want you to know that that was a suicide mission because the odds were stacked against them. Sisera's army had 900 iron chariots. And you read that today and you're like, so what? But that was the most advanced technology for warfare in that day. And the Israelites were 10,000 foot soldiers. Those chariots would run over a hundred of them. There was just no contest. And Barak says, all right, I'll go, Deborah, but with one condition. You must come with me. And so Deborah said yes, and they go. And she says, all right, this is the strategy that God is giving us. Take the men up to the top of the mountain and then come around by the river. And there we'll meet this army. And you want to know what the Lord did? He sent a storm. And the river turned into mud. And these iron chariots got literally stuck in the mud. God used their greatest strength and turned it into their greatest weakness. Isn't that the way God does things? And I love her song. I want to read to you what she wrote about that in Judges 5. She says, From the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. March on, my soul, be strong. Have courage in God. 
I love that. From the heavens, the stars fought. You know what that means? That from the heavens, God fights your battles for you. See, it doesn't matter if you are the iron in the world. It doesn't matter if you're the strongest person. It doesn't matter if your portfolio is set for life. Tomorrow, you could lose it all. The victory is always only in God. That's a great theme in the Bible. So what are the iron chariots that you're facing? What are your obstacles? What are your difficulties? Will you remember this? Because this is true for every believer. You, my friends, do not fight for victory. You fight from a place of victory. And the difference is huge. You fight from a place of victory because Jesus assured the victory for us on the cross. So we come into every situation from a place of victory with Jesus. See, God's work is never accomplished by means of human strength. But it's always accomplished by human weakness through the strength of God. So Deborah had courage. And I'm asking you this evening to live with courage. Because you, know, you want to know what courage is? See, courage isn't feeling strong. Courage isn't not having fears. Courage is not being worried. Courage is not doubting in your strength. Courage for the believer is trusting in the Lord's strength. That's what courage means. So how could you step out of your comfort zone and step into God's zone? You know what holds us back? What's at the root of it? Is that we don't believe that God really loves us. We don't believe that he's fighting our battles. We don't trust in the Lord. And so we think it's in our strength. We think it's up to us. And we say, sure, maybe for her, for Martha, the Lord is fighting. Or, or maybe for that person over there, but not for me. I've got to do it all by myself. So where do we get the power to have this courage? So that it transfers from our head to our hearts to know that it's God. And where do we have the power to live available? Well, that's the third one. By living gospel empowered. By living empowered by the gospel. You know what empowered this great judge, Deborah? You know the rabbinical records say she was the greatest of all the judges in Israel? That she was always fair, never impartial, that she was beloved by the people of Israel, men and women alike, and that no one ever opposed her. It was a miracle. What do you think empowered her? She knew God. She knew his love. She had a deep, abiding relationship with God, and so she knew that she could trust him. She tasted his grace and his mercy. See, she knew that the Israelites did not deserve for God to rescue them. For 20 years, they looked at all these false gods, and they did not care about God. 
She knew they did not deserve that day in the river to have that miraculous deliverance. But she tasted God's rescuing love. She knew that she was loved, not because it depended on anything in her, but on God. See, she had a song in her heart, the gospel song. What is the song in your heart? See, we have a song of the gospel, not because our lives are easy, because their lives were not easy. We have the gospel song because God is with us, because the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. We have the gospel song because of the cross. That the cross is where we become undone. See, Deborah tasted God's grace and his mercy and his undeserved rescue. It's at the cross that you taste God's grace. We are those Israelites, and God rescues us by his life. It's at the cross that we know and we are empowered to have courage because our God loves us to the point of death. And we didn't earn it, and we didn't deserve it, and so how can we doubt him? And God's love empowered her to love this nation, to love these people as a mother would love. God's love empowers you to be able to be available and to arise and love others. And then Deborah, she lived with freedom because she was secure in who she was in God. See, she had the freedom to make decisions based on what was right, not on the approval of the people. She wasn't power hungry. She was not drawn to the false gods for rain or for protection or for whatever they were looking at or for prosperity. She looked to God. Where are you looking for your significance? What are you looking for security? What are those things in your life every day if you look into your heart that makes you feel loved and secured? See, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, don't let your happiness depend on something that you may lose. A lot of good things, but we can lose them. So let me ask you, what is the only thing that we will never lose? God's love. He will never lose it. So that frees us from finding our worth, our identity, our value, our motive for life. Because we know we cannot lose it and we have security. And then your lives can display his glory. So I want to finish with this quote from an artist because he describes glory in a way I think that we can relate. It's a little long, but listen, because it talks about all of us. We stand at glory's door because we know that there is wonder at the other side. We long to see it ourselves and we want to show it to others. And whenever possible, siphon little wisps of smoke from those places where we catch a glimpse of the light so that others might see and believe. What can we show each other of glory anyway except light in the shadow? What glory can anyone see in us except 
for wisps of smoke, traces of the great burning fire. And is that not enough for now to show enough to prove there's more? See, if you're thinking, Martha, this glory, it's beyond me. A gentle answer, a loving word, a prayer for someone in need, a text to someone, all of that are wisps. All of that are glimpses of the glory of God. And he desires to use you to show his glory to a world that needs to know that there is more, that there is wonder at the other side. So how could God be calling you tonight to arise, to display his glory so that others could praise and know our God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God that has revealed yourself and made yourself known to us. We thank you that you're a God that comes running after us, that you're a God that rescues the undeserving, that lavishes us with your grace when we don't deserve it. Thank you that you're a God that invites us to see your glory, to experience your glory, to taste it, and to let others see it. Lord, Deborah was a great judge, but she points us to the greater judge, Jesus Christ, who on that judgment day for every single child of his, we will be given mercy and grace and eternal love. What a gift. May our hearts soar in wonder and delight that we are so loved by you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.